0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I want to hear cannons. Three-step drop, close on the end zone. Caught ball, touchdown Tampa Bay. Mike Evans reaches up with one hand and grabs it in. It's first and goal. That's picked off. That's picked off, and who else? Rondae Barber. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers may ride to the Super Bowl with that one. We, we don't even keep scope. We just run that up and leave. Third down, 18. Dropping Gannon, looking Gannon, looking Gannon. Close up with it. Heads to the side at the Derrick 40. Derek Brooks 30. Brooks to the 29. 20. He's good. Derek Brooks all the way. There it is. The dagger's in. There. We're going to win the Super Bowl. This is Mike Tampa Tempe Buccaneers, and you're listening to the Cannon Fire Podcast. And yeah, they're the cannons, guys. The Fire them. Yeah. Keep on firing them. Keep on firing them. So week number two has our beloved Chicago Bears traveling down to Tampa to take on the Bucks, where it's going to be 800 degree, 10,000% humidity. So I'm sure that that's probably why the Bears are going to wear the orange helmets and the orange jerseys so as to not have to wear the dark colors that I'm sure the home team would force us to wear. Uh, But here to help us preview this very interesting week two matchup from the Cannon Fire Podcast, it is Rhett Matthew
1: Pleasure to be back, Larry. Uh, Internet issues be damned. We're going to make this podcast happen, but always good to be back and uh, talk a ball with you.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about uh, week one for your uh, Buccaneers. Um, You know, looking at it, uh, I was uh, in and out on the game on Sunday as I was kind of visually masturbating over the eight games that were available to me during the 12 o'clock hour and, you know, in and out on it and I wasn't expecting the Vikings to blow out Tampa Bay, but I was surprised with how scrappy and how tough the Buccaneers hung in there uh, throughout the game. And I think it was a surprise to a lot of people. The Vikings, coming off the big year that they had last year, uh, were favorites to, to win this one. And while my guys were dominated thoroughly at home in an embarrassing loss to uh, Green Bay, you guys are considered the upset beating the formerly 13-4 and Vikings on the road.
1: Yeah, I'm more so surprised by where the offense was week one. I mean, we knew Dave Canales coming in was going to have a lot of hype as the new offensive coordinator, old QB coach from Seattle. Uh, People credit him for making Geno Smith what he was last season, and that ended up in a contract extension with Seattle, so they're feeling good about that. But, you know, he's a first-time play caller, new quarterback quarterback. Baker Mayfield had to come in and learn the system as well. There's a lot of leftover pieces from the Tom Brady era. Obviously, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin uh, still on the team, but a lot of young pieces. You know, the tight end group, one of the youngest in the NFL. And and for the Buccaneers offense week one, I knew they weren't going to be scoring over 30 points. Uh, I definitely didn't think they were going to be as bad as they were in the first half of that game. But luckily, they had the defense, which I have been raving about for the last couple of months, uh, they played so well in that first half, they kept the Bucks in the game, and they gave the offense time to get their feet wet. You know, Baker got more comfortable in the pocket as the game went on. Uh, Brian Flores was really bringing the heat on all the blitzes in that first half, and and it showed. Uh, they made some adjustments in the second half and ultimately came around. And part of what they had to do was just start throwing the ball to Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. You know, you start putting the ball in the hands of your playmakers, and plays will be made. But I like a lot of what I saw. Again, there's some areas that they have to get better, and uh, I think the inexperience factor is, is going to be on full effect over the next four to five weeks for this football team. But the defense is playing great, picking up right where they left off in 2022. And uh, the offense, they showed us something they can build on. So as far as where the Bucks are after week one, I'm cautiously optimistic because I don't want to overreact. But I am pleasantly surprised with uh, with where they are on both sides of the ball.
0: Yeah, and it, it was interesting when I went back and I was looking at, like, team stats and, and how the game all boiled down. Uh, unless I'm missing something, the Vikings won this game everywhere and except for two places. Number one, the turnover battle, and number two, the scoreboard, which is the most important uh, place because Kirk Cousins threw for over 300 yards. Justin Jefferson had a ton of, uh, you know, a ton of catches, ton of yards. Uh, the rookie, uh, Addison, ha- you know, scored a touchdown uh, in this. Aside from having trouble running the football, the Vikings efficient enough on offense and statistically, uh, you know, were were very productive uh, on offense, but couldn't manage to uh, get things finished and apparently couldn't stop turning the ball over. Yeah, that
1: discrepancy in the uh, in the box score is going to stick out to a lot of people over 120 yards of total offense. Between these two, I think the Bucs only finished with 240, 260, something like that. And uh, it was 369 for the Vikings. So when you look at that, you look at the success that they had throwing to Justin Jefferson, who finishes with a handful of catches and a buck 50 receiving on the day. You would think they probably would have beat the Bucs by more than three points or even a touchdown at that point. But again, talking about... The defense in that first half, keeping Tampa Bay in that game. I mean, that's exactly what they needed. You know, if you can force any team uh, to to get three tone, turnovers in the first half, it, you're gonna have a pretty good chance to to hang on to that game. And even then, with the lack of production, the Bucs were just keeping points off of the board. and And there were a lot of pivotal moments in that game where it felt like the Bucks defense had to bend but not break. You know, a couple of goal line stops. They they turned a touchdown into three points for Minnesota on one possession. And then to end the first half, the Christian Izian interception from the nickel cornerback spot, you know, that completely eliminates a touchdown or it completely eliminates points. And if the Vikings, you know, they were tearing up that zone coverage that entire first half of the game. If the Vikings get the shot that they needed on that drive and settle for three points, we're going overtime because the Bucks only beat him by three, 20 to 17, your final score. So again, you know, the building blocks being put together on offense has a little bit more time to come together because of how well the defense has played. But uh, yeah, like you said, as far as the defensive approach, they weren't going to stop Justin Jefferson. They were just going to have to focus on slowing down some of the guys around him. So yeah, I mean, they absolutely got gashed in that first half and the zone coverage has to be better if they're going to continue to play zone. The Bucks have physical corners. They're better playing man. Sometimes they play him in zone, and most of the time they get beat. So with that being said, the adjustments they made going into the second half, you saw the lack of production for Justin Jefferson. I think he only had two catches for 12 yards, and when they needed him the most, he did not show up. Uh, when they needed that offensive drive to march down the field and make it a game, potentially take it back, they went three and out. So, the defense being where it is complements the offense very well because there are going to be some growing pains over the next few weeks uh, with Baker in the offense. I can just i I can feel it. It's hasn't happened yet. May not happen this
0: week, but we're gonna get there. Well, it's 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 um you know because the prognosis coming out of uh, training camp was not pretty. I mean, you saw the videos, and then to have Baker come out against the the Vikings and perform. Uh, The way that he did statistically unimpressive, but efficient and mistake free. No interceptions, no fumbles, uh, no mistakes whatsoever uh, against the uh, against the Vikings. It was uh, impressive uh, to say the least.
1: Yeah. Baker plays his best football when he doesn't have to think about what he's doing out there. You know, when you have an Mm. offensive system that keeps him fluid, uh, keeps the tempo, not high tempo. They don't have to go no huddle all the time. But, you know. Just keep things consistent. I mean, it, short, consistent games are going to do dividends. For the Bucs, you know, the run game was definitely not where it should be for a team that has said that they want to lean on the run. But it wasn't a bad start. Over 70 yards on the ground rushing, which compared to where they were last year, historically bad run, uh, running game in 2022 for the Buccaneers. And it's an incredibly young running back room. But I would like to see the run get started a little bit early, but... You know Baker settled in in that second half, and you saw it. it. You you just you saw it in the offensive production. You saw him play better. You saw him trust his offensive line a little bit more. You saw the Bucks get some more chance to you know play action rollout around the corner. Get him throwing outside of the numbers because that's where he plays well too. The Bucks now have a quarterback who has the ability to to scramble a little bit and show you some more on a play action rollout. So again, I, I think Baker plays his best ball, obviously when the run game works, but. You know, when Canales is 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 calling the game exactly the way he did in that second half after seeing what didn't work in the first half, I think that's going to lead to some long-term success. And like you alluded to, Baker, when he plays well, he doesn't have to be a superhero. He doesn't have to throw 40, 50 touchdowns a year. He just has to not turn the ball over. He has enough weapons, mm-hmm. even with you know the post-Tom Brady era, as people like to call it, he has enough weapons on this offense in Tampa Bay to be a game manager and potentially win games. But again, one of the things I would like to see get better is, is that run game early on? Cause uh, the first half was rough. They, they weren't,
0: weren't doing a whole lot. Well, my friend, I, I tell you that you, you've come to the right place. If you're looking to uh, improve your running game uh, because uh, Aaron Jones ate the bears lunch all day long uh, because his offensive line uh, manhandled our defensive line for the majority uh, of that football game uh, on the opening drive uh, for, for green Bay. He get, ga- you know, he gashed the bears eight care eight yards here, seven yards there uh, you know, that kind of thing. And then he kind of disappeared for the rest of the first half. And it was like, where's Aaron Jones? Where's Aaron Jones? And they bring him back uh, hundred and four yards and two touchdowns later. Uh, we know where Aaron Jones is, you know, the, it went from ten to six at halftime to twenty-four to six halfway through the third quarter, and was over after that. You know, with the way that we were playing on on offense, which was, I don't know, conservative or scared or or, or whatever it was that the Bears were were trying to do, that was flat out just not working. Um, you know, if you're looking to if you're looking for help with your run game, the the Bears are what the doctor ordered. If if what we saw on Sunday is is any indication as to what you can look forward to.
1: Yeah, and the Bucks are putting a lot of stock into second-year running back Rashad White. Uh, he was, uh, you know, a rotational guy behind Leonard Fournette last year. Uh, got some carries and looked good. had a lot of had, had a lot of moments that led me to believe this guy can get more carries and continue to grow as a running back. Uh, but he is the running back one in Tampa until he's not at this point. And with the inexperience that you have, you know, your running back two is Sean Tucker, who is an undrafted free agent from Syracuse. And then your running back three is Chase Edmonds, who is a veteran, but he's not going to uh you know take over the game by any means, I, I don't think. So with that being said, the Bucs want to see him hit that next level. Uh because week one, he didn't. Like he he was, I think 17 carries for 40 something yards, only 2.3 yards per carry, which he ended up finishing like 40 yards below expectation which i think is kind of a dumb stat but you know people people think it's a, a negative thing uh to tackle into his week 1 performance but he he just needs to make that big play like uh, what he was missing in that first half uh was an offensive line that was cohesive enough to start opening up holes cuz he's a north south runner the bucks are just going to hand the ball to Rashad White and send him right up the A gap that's just how it is uh, you're gonna see more of the outside zone stuff when it comes to Chase Edmonds or Sean Tucker when they get in the game. They're a little more explosive around the edge. But for Rashad White, they 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 are still waiting to see that one big 20, 30, 40 yard run. And I do think we get that against Chicago. But the longest run for the Buccaneers Sunday in that week one win was six yards by Rashad White. Um so they're going to be looking for more production, and I think it's going to have to happen early in the game. The Bucks are going to commit to the run for another week in a row, but if the offensive line comes out fresh and Chicago is as fatigued on the D-line as you make it seem with their run defense, uh, we'll see what that first half holds, but I, I think it's going to be another week of committing to the run and looking to see what Rashad White can do.
0: Yeah, I don't know if it's so much fatigue as it is uh, our defensive coordinator is uh, incompetent. Mm. Um because we're we're seeing the same things going wrong with the so-called improved roster, you know the the expectation for the Bears last year wasn't high. It was definitely somewhat of a tank year, or you know we started out the year wanting to win as many games as possible, and then saw that where the season was going, and you know then Ryan Pohl started selling off assets and and acquiring picks and uh, and things like that. But now you know we sign Andrew Billings. Uh, we, we, we have, you know, Justin Jones, we go out and sign Tremaine Edmonds, TJ Edwards to improve the second level uh, of our linebacking core. We go out and get, you know, better pass rushers, including, uh, who did get a sack against Green Bay, uh, on Sunday. And yet we're still seeing the same problems. We're getting gashed up the middle where we're supposed to be bigger, faster, stronger, uh, on the defensive line. And, uh, you know, if you guys, we, we will, I'll say this. We're the best team in the league on first and second down, but we're probably the worst team in the league on third down. You know, And it doesn't matter what the down and distance is, third and three, third and eight, third and 15, as long as your offensive line is getting their job done, they'll, he'll, Baker will have the time to find Mike Evans. Not only will he find Mike Evans open, he'll find Mike Evans in a hole where he'll be. there'll be a 10-yard radius between him and the next closest defender. We saw Green Bay do it over and over and over again, and despite our improved you know, uh, roster, uh, from 2022, uh, we're still seeing the same thing. So it's got to come down to scheme and to coaching. If you're seeing the same problems with better, with better talent. So, uh, you know, if, if, if as long as your offensive line is getting the job done, uh, up front, uh, you guys are going to be able to find success uh, against the bears.
1: Well, an offensive line is, is another question mark the bucks had coming into this year. It's pretty much all five new starters, you know Robert Hainsey is the only guy that started last season at the same position. Tristan Wurst making the jump from right tackle to left tackle. He's been fine. Week one, uh, he looked a lot better than I thought he would, so let's hope this transition stays as smooth as it has been. Left guard, you got Matt Filer, who again is a veteran signing. He wasn't an all-pro, which is why he was available as late as he was, but he is starting material. Robert Hainsey, uh, his third year, second year starting at center. And then your right guard is the rookie, Cody Malk, who actually, hats off to Cody Malk. He um was on the injury report with a back injury two days before the Vikings game. Came in, played 100% of the snaps. His first NFL start, uh, he's a dog, so I'm happy to see him out there. Big ginger guy as well, so you yeah, know, we love all the reinforcements. Uh, and then at right tackle is the biggest question mark on the line. That is Luke Gedeke, who did get some starting time at the left guard position last season. Uh, but he was pulled. He was just bad. He was so bad that you know they pulled him after four or five games. They threw Nick Everett in there, and they called it a day. Now this guy is you know a, a, a mid round draft pick for Tampa Bay, so obviously they have some stock in him, and he's going to be your starting right tackle until he's not. But he struggled with Daniil Hunter last Sunday. I, I mean, the Bucs are facing some premier pass rushers over the first few weeks of the season. You mentioned Yannick Ngakwe uh, next week. They have – I should know who they have. I'm drawing a blank here. Week four, they have the Saints, so they got Cam Jordan. Um, right. Week three, why – hold on. I We can't get past this. This is going to drive me insane. I have the schedule. Yeah. This is going to drive me nuts. Week three, week three, here we go. Week three, Tampa Bay. This is so unprofessional. Week three, they got the Eagles. That's why I couldn't remember because – I don't want to. Uh, Monday Night Football, they got the Eagles. They're going to be facing, you know, that defensive line. So just another test early on in the season. But, uh, yeah, Luke is is going to be interesting to watch. Hopefully he bounces back this week. But the consistency along that inexperienced offensive line is going to be something to watch because they were serviceable week one. But, you know, these younger guys, these inexperienced offensive linemen they can they can stop gap and they can play well. You know, they can play well for two or three games, but can they play well for four or five or six, seven weeks in a row taking 100% of the offensive snaps? That's uh yet to be determined, but in a better place than some people thought they would be.
0: Yeah, as a as a I, I'm a fantasy football hater. I'm more of a Pickem guy. And and over the years I've learned that um the two toughest weeks to make picks for are week one and week two, because week one, you're basing all of your picks on what you know about these teams from last year. Mm -hmm. And then week two, you're basing your picks on what happened week one. And we found out the hard way in most cases that week one can be a very fluky week uh, at times. And I am hoping, praying in fact, that, week one was a gigantic fluke for the bears and that we're going to show up. And I know I've been playing the pessimist during this conversation, but it's just the, the overwhelming disappointment that we had watching that game go the way that it did. We're supposed to have this improved roster. We're supposed to have a shot against green Bay. Now that Aaron Rodgers is gone and it, Basically looked like Rodgers and Company all over again with the way we couldn't get anything done, the way that they were able to move the ball at will uh, against us, and and they put up 38 points on us the whole nine yards. It was very disheartening to have to sit through, and um, you know I'm hoping that week two is a rebound to prove that week one was a fluke for us.
1: You know, it's not your fault that Jordan Love looked like a JV quarterback in training camp and OTAs (laughs) over the last couple of seasons. Uh, I don't think a lot of people could have seen that coming. He did step in and play well when he needed to before. But, you know, as a a Bucs fan, I can relate to, I don't want to say your pessimism, but your realistic expectations. Because every year when you watch a bad team... It's fun for about two, three weeks, and then and then you kind of get to October, and then it's it's the push period where how much longer is this going to be fun? How many more weeks are we going to really be talking about staying competitive? Uh, when is this team going to show up? Right? I mean, the Bucks yeah. had that issue in twenty twenty two every every other week. We're like, hey, when is this team going to show up? Because this is not who we've seen in years prior. But the Bucks are now back in that territory of like it could go wrong at any moment, and and I think some people who were maybe just here for the Brady years or expect a lot more from this team are going to be in for that reality check soon. But I don't blame you. Like you keep it realistic. You, you, you have to, you have to, because if you're the raw rah guy on the podcast who says, Hey, we're going to win 11 games this year. And then they win five. Yeah. <laughs> there's going to be yeah, at least I a was, couple people who don't let you forget that.
0: Yeah. I was careful to stick to windows like yeah, as far yeah. <laughs> like I didn't come out and say hey this is how many games they're going to win it's like they could win as little as this many they could win as many as this many and it, the the truth is probably somewhere in the middle and uh so I didn't come out and say hey 12 and 5 yeah. book it <laughs> yeah. you know I was like yeah we could probably I say, say, I would say our our floor is six games maybe seven I would say the ceiling if everything goes right is is 11 yeah so Right now, we look like that floor would be, uh, you know, generous at this point <laughs> if we come out and play 16 more games like the one that we played uh, on Sunday. And it just has to do with, like I said, number one, this was a very highly anticipated season. This improved roster, especially on offense, getting DJ Moore. We beefed up the offensive line. So now it's just like Justin Fields is out of excuses. We got him the tools. He's raring to go. We went out and got some help on defense. So hopefully we can at least be average, if not, you know, outstanding uh, and everything. And then we and we got Green Bay week one without Aaron Rodgers. It's like this would be a great way for us to make a statement that we're going to reclaim the north. And like, just like Ryan Pohl said in his introductory press conference, we're going to take the north and not give it back is our literal words that the man said. And here it is. Aaron Rodgers is gone, ding-dong, the witch is dead, and now it's time for us to stake claim on this division 72 hours after the Lions beat the Chiefs on, on national TV for the whole world to uh, see, you know, the, the, the so-called favorite to win the division this year. We've got a chance to make a statement against our most hated rival to to snap the losing streak because it was eight in a row coming into the game. It's nine now because we did not show up for Sunday, and that's what was so disheartening about it. Everything that we were waiting for, we waited all – hell, dude, we've been waiting for this since week one of last year. Yeah. You know, this knowing that polls had all of the draft picks, all of the salary cap space, and then on top, we had the number one pick, which we, you know, turned into four draft picks and DJ Moore. It's yeah. like it could not have gone any better for us. You know what I'm saying? And then for us to come out, DJ Moore got two targets for two catches in the second quarter. That was it. Didn't hear from again for the rest of the ball game. And it just, it could not have been more disappointing than it was. And the cherry on top was that it was the Packers that was doing it uh, to us. So I I like DJ more. I do think he does add
1: some legitimacy to that wide receiver room for sure. I also like Darnell Mooney. I've been high on the guy for a couple of years now, Um, but just the absolute state of that division, you know, the NFC North being where it is right now, you already talked about the Aaron Rodgers green Bay departure, Um, but Detroit coming on strong. A lot of people picking them for the division, possibly. Dan Campbell has them in a good spot, especially the upset on the road. I know it's week one, probably going to be an outlier for Kansas City, but it's a good upset, and everybody loves that nonetheless. And then Minnesota. I know they were a 13-win team last year, but in my humble opinion, kind of fluky. Uh, They had the collapse late in the season, and what was it, like nine or ten of those games were decided by... One score, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean... If you run that back this season, some of those games are probably going to end a little bit differently. So not to say that the Vikings aren't that good of a team, but every team in the AFC North feels like it's just kind of a... They're either going to be... Eh? Or they're going to be a lot better than people think. Right? Like Minnesota, if they win 11, 12 games, I still think for them, that's a year that they're going to be a lot better than people think. Because a lot of the predictions I saw for them was 6-7 to wins this year. Uh, Detroit... It could be a tough division, like we saw in the NFC South last year, where your division winner has maybe nine or ten wins. But Detroit's a gritty team; they're going to win some games this year. And then, uh, like you said, the Bears, hopefully, looking to see some more of that updated roster as the season goes on.
0: Yeah, we we definitely need to uh, snap out of whatever funk we were in uh, on Sunday, uh, and 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 definitely show up for this one. So I I guess that's what kind of makes the Bears dangerous. Coming into this one because they have a lot to answer for for what they did. They knew that their fan base was excited uh, about this team. They knew their fan base was excited about that game uh, against Green Bay, and they did not show up for it. You know, their performance was pathetic on both sides uh, of the ball. We couldn't get anything done no matter what we tried to do, uh, and and there was no consistency in anything that we did uh, against Green Bay. It's just like, what the hell is this? We've been waiting. been waiting eight months for this yeah ever since you know january when we were literally pulling guys off the street just to fill out a roster for the minnesota game here we are eight months later this is what we've been waiting for this is this is for real we got dj moore where we're ready to go let's uh let's see that golden arm that justin fields had at ohio state we got somebody to go deep with and and all that kind of stuff and you just didn't see it you didn't see it and you know they do have a lot to answer for this sunday and Hopefully they come in with that chip on their shoulder. Like we're better than what we showed the world we were uh on Sunday and and, you know, hopefully take it out on you guys uh for a little bit and 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 get themselves back on on track to to being, you know, what they think they're the beer and what a lot of people think that they're capable of. Uh, you know, nobody's saying that the Bears are contenders this year, but nobody was saying that they were going to be the team that got just you know, raked all over the field uh, against Green Bay on Sunday. You yeah. know, some people will probably picked the Packers to win, but nobody picked them to dominate the Bears the way that they did.
1: Yeah, but when any team goes in like the Bears did last offseason, clearly they had a mission. They wanted to get some help for their QB. So <laughs> when any team uses resources like that, has the offseason that they did, uh, just that marginal improvement is what you're looking for year to year. Like you said, yeah. nobody picked the Bears to be Super Bowl contenders, but. <sighs> you'll want to see them not wind up with the number one overall pick. So, you know, yeah. the expectations are definitely higher than uh, the product they showed on the field week one. But again, you kind of hope that week one is an outlier for some of these teams. And and I think for some teams, it's just going to take, you know, a couple extra weeks to come on. The inexperience factor may be something to monitor depending on what their situation is. But, um, you know, I, I think the Bears are a team that can definitely come around. Uh, as the season goes on. I, I'm a fan of Justin Fields. I believe in him.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, and I said it on my NFL show when I was previewing uh, the game uh, yesterday that um, both teams are out to prove something on on Sunday. The Bears are out to prove that week one was a fluke. The Bucks are out to prove that week one wasn't a fluke. You know, that they can go out there and and beat teams like Minnesota or or at least what Minnesota was last year, uh, you know, kind of thing. A 13-4 and team at home, you know, they go on the road and, and, they, and they, they shut down this offense. That the reason that they won so many of those one-score games is because they simply outscored their opponents because their defense was atrocious, which is why they have Brian Flores instead of Ed Donatel uh, as their offensive coordinator. You guys did the one thing, like, in their four losses, I think they, like, total they may have scored like 40 points in those four losses because they got beat like 40 something to 3 against the Cowboys yeah. 38 yeah. to 7 or something against the in the rematch against Green Bay last year when their offense was shut down they were done but it's like in in those other games like that Colts game they're down 33 to nothing or whatever it was they score 36 points and yeah. come back yeah. to uh to to win the game you know when they beat the Giants it was you know 30 something points to Whatever it was the Giants, you know, came in the one score game there. they were able to win these one score games because they were able to outscore their opponents. They weren't beating many teams. they were just outscoring them because their defense wasn't stopping anyone. so mm-hmm. uh and and it's like you guys went out there and bottled up that offense only allowed 17 points and you only needed 20 to to make the difference. and in a one score game, the first one of 2023, they're zero one, as opposed to being what eleven and zero or something crazy yeah, like that yeah. last year. So yeah, it's uh, it's it, it's a wonder what we're what are we looking for in in the defense, or what can we look forward to from that defense that was able to bottle up Kirk Cousins, despite eleven letting him throw for over three hundred uh, yards, they were able to keep the Vikings pretty much off the scoreboard. For the most for the
1: for the game. Yeah, the biggest difference for the Bucks defense headed into this year compared to years past is the youth movement they've had along the defensive line. Uh first round pick, Elijah Cansey, He played a little bit in that first drive, second drive, I think, but he was out the rest of the game. Re aggravated an injury. Probably shouldn't have played, but hopefully we see him come back at some point in the season. He still did have time to make a play, though. Uh Logan Hall, second year defensive tackle. Greg Gaines, the Bucs just signed from the Rams over the course of the offseason. Brock back William Golston, who is a 10-plus-year vet. Uh, but Joe Tryon, Shoinka, Anthony Nelson, Shaq Barrett, round out your edge rushers. Cam Gill, I think, still on the roster as well. Uh, your linebacker, Corey Levante, David Devin White. I think the mission statement for the Bucks really is getting home, getting pressure on the quarterback with four down linemen, because that's been an issue. Uh, in 2020, you know, the Super Bowl championship defense, as good as they were, they weren't a very great team at getting after the quarterback without relying on the Blitz. And Todd Bowles dialed dialed back on the Blitz a little bit in 2022. And I think he might want to do that again in 2023 because he wants to see what these linemen can do. You know, you've got a big guy like Vita Vey in the middle, hopefully opening up opportunities for the more athletic players. And you've seen them used in different schematic ways uh, even so far this season to where, like, Kalijah Canty made his biggest play of the game last week on a stunt. You know, stuff like that. Opening up that that creative playbook that we know Todd Bowles has is going to be interesting, but I don't know how much they're going to blitz early in this game. I, I don't. They're going to want to coax Justin Fields into making some mistakes because I, I know this is year three for him, correct?
0: For Fields? Yeah. Yeah, you're number three.
1: Yeah, and, and the Bears put a lot of faith in him. Obviously, the reinforcements going and, and trading away the number one pick to go get DJ Moore and some of these other pieces, they they have a lot of faith in what he can do. But I still think in in some ways he's unproven. You know, I, I do oh, think sure. uh, he is the type of quarterback where he can be pressured. He he can just simply be coaxed into making a mistake. And uh, whether the Bucks send Antoine Winfield Jr. on a blitz to do that um, or they just rely on their front four and, and try and play more of a coverage scheme, I am curious to see what you know that first half looks like. Because if they have to make adjustments, they're going to do it at, at halftime. Don't get me wrong. And you'll see whatever more of what you need to in that second half. But I'm curious how aggressive they're going to be with the blitz. That's the big thing. Can they force Justin Fields to make mistakes just with the four down linemen they have, or you know the five, counting your 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 pass rushers, your outside linebacker, since they run this weird hybrid three four. But uh, their dependency on the blitz, I think, is is going to be the biggest turning point for the Bucks defense this week.
0: Yeah, and I just like I hate to be the pessimist, but after the way that our offensive line uh, performed uh, on Sunday, where there was somebody routinely. And they were just running stunts up front the the packers did not blitz very much uh against the bears that i can recall uh there there was one brilliant play that fields did where he he saw jair alexander coming and made a great move to to shake him and and ended up making a play uh on that one but i i don't remember them sending the house uh after the bears because frankly they didn't need to Mm -hmm. they were they were simply getting home running stunts and uh and confusing this offensive line, which was a concern going into the season because our the the starting five that we had that we were supposed to have, uh, number one did not play together at all during the preseason. Then our best offensive lineman in Tevin Jenkins goes down with a calf injury that's going to keep him out of the first four games because they put him on IR for it. Uh Cody Whitehair, who went into the season as our starting center. Gets a hand injury and then is moved over to left guard to cover for Tevin Jenkins. Um, uh, Patrick, our, our center, is you know was supposed to be our starting center last year, but couldn't stay healthy and we had to settle for Sam Mustafer, who was a walking disaster. And thankfully, he's on the Baltimore practice squad right now or wherever the hell he ended up, uh, kind of thing. You know, we didn't see much of Darnell right after the first preseason game. Nate Davis, our newly signed right guard, didn't play at all for one reason uh, or another, whether it was some kind of personal issue or because it wasn't an injury, or at least that's what we've been able to ascertain uh, or whatever. These guys just did not play together. And as an offensive lineman, when during my playing days, it was preached to me that the offensive line is the team within the team. And as long as those guys are hot, you can pretty much guarantee that the offense is going to be fine. And that unit had not played together other than probably the, the the three or four days of practice they had coming into the season. And it showed it absolutely showed there was no chemistry. These, you know, they didn't know what the, the right hand didn't know what the left hand was doing and it was a mess uh, up front. So as long as you guys have your shit together, I think, uh, you know, you guys might be okay only having to send four uh, to get after fields or at least disrupt what the bears are trying to do.
1: So, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, uh, how do you think this game is going to go Sunday? Um, you know, it, we, we talk about Justin Fields, and that's kind of where I wanted to gauge your expectations for the offense. Uh, we know what the Bucks are going to try and do on defense. I, I still think they're going to rely on that pressure with their front four, but if they have to get creative with the Blitz, then absolutely they will. But do you think the Bears are going to try and air it out, or are they going to try
0: and, and maybe rely on the run game early as well? If today's press conferences are any indication... They are absolutely going to try to get the ball downfield um, because Justin Fields had 37 pass attempts on Sunday. Three of them were for 10 yards or more. Two of them to Darno Mooney, one of which was a 20-yard touchdown pass in the third quarter. So, you know, it's they just didn't do it. With DJ Moore and Chase Claypool, who are our 50-50 ball guys, we didn't even try to heave one downfield, see if they could win – a uh, jump ball situation against somebody or or anything like that. Uh, Chase Claypool was sleepwalking his way through the game on Sunday. His mm. performance was like it, like he may not, he might be a healthy scratch on Sunday based on how poorly he played. I mean, he's making that trade that Ryan Poles made for him look like one of the worst in NFL history. And
1: were you guys right having now. issues? Were you guys having similar issues with him last year?
0: Last year, it, they were chalking it up to him not being familiar with the playbook, trying to sure. learn the offense, on-the-fly uh, kind of thing and and praising the fact that he was here for the entire offseason. He's much more up to speed on what's going on. He was excited saying that Luke Getze was, uh, was dialing up the offense to do what worked for him as a rookie because, you know, Chase Claypool kind of took the league by storm yeah. his uh, his rookie year and then it's kind of faded in the time because the the Steelers moved him into the slot position when he was having all of his success on the outside. The Bears are going to put him back on the outside, where he was having that success, uh, you know, in Pittsburgh, and he was really excited about it. And it's like I don't know what the hell happened on Sunday, but DJ Moore, who's one of the more highly anticipated players we've had since we traded for Brandon Marshall, uh, just wasn't wasn't present. Or actually, it wasn't even DJ Moore's fault. But two targets for two catches, so he got the job done when the ball went his way. But you know, Chase Claypool. I think got one target that he dropped like on a screen class or something like that. And, uh, you know, we just couldn't get anything going on offense. How do I see the game going on Sunday? Even though I've been Mr. Pessimist, I'm optimistic about the game, hoping that they will respond, that they will, you know, bounce back, that they will fix what was wrong uh, on Sunday or at least improve upon it. And, you know, like I think on on paper, I think the Bears are the better team, Uh, you know, even though you don't hear a whole lot of confidence in my voice when I say that, you know, when I was going through like the schedule, looking at wins and losses, I was counting on a win uh, in Tampa Bay. And if we were going to lose, I was probably going to blame it on the weather that we were just beaten down by the 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 crazy heat in, in Florida that time of year. Uh, And everything, especially since out here in in the Chicago area, it's been in the mid 60s, uh, you know, for like the past couple of weeks. It is beautiful out here, you know, as we get ready for the fall.
1: We're just getting over the hurricane weather. You know, we had uh, whatever that hurricane was called a couple of weeks ago come through and kind of cool things down for about a week week and a half but now we are back to standard operating <laughs> procedure where it's a, a high of 96 degrees a thousand percent humidity and it it feels like 125 it's yeah uh, i, I can't get old good old, old florida just before the fall
0: yeah i can't bro i don't know how you guys do it <laughs> day in and day out. i mean i know you probably get used to it uh after a while that it's uh not as big a deal as it would be uh but it's like i just i just can't i can't like i've, I've been, literally been to tampa one time Back in two thousand one, in late November, it was eighty five with yeah. humidity that I could choke a choke an animal to death. It was it was awful, absolutely awful. It's like it's November when we left Illinois to come here. It was forty one degrees outside. Yeah, it is eighty five, and I can feel the air on my skin. I'm sunburned. It's 830 yeah. in the morning and I've got sun poisoning, you know? It, yeah, it, it's like we our hotel was like right across the street from like Bush Gardens yeah. out in Tampa. And all my friends were like, you know, we're playing a night game. So let's go to the Bush Gardens. like, no, absolutely not. I am not going to be outside sweating my ass off for five hours. You know, I was like, no way. No, I'm going to be in the AC, in the hotel room watching college football. That's what I'm doing today. To hell with that. So, yeah, no way. It's like, no, no, man. No, thank you. So, but I, I think we can do it. We're capable of it. Do I think, here's the thing, and this is how I always kind of qualify it. Do I think we can do it? Yes. Will we do it? Eh, I don't know. I think so. I think so. You know, but in like, in my pick'em league, uh, I'm going to pick the Bears, but the confidence points are going to be like one or two this week. It is, It is. you know, confidence is not high after what we saw uh, on on sundays like they have the talent and the capability to get it done and to be better than they were but until they do it it's a see it to believe it kind of situation for us
1: you know it seems like the bears are a team the bucks play more times than not and yeah. whenever these teams get together with all due respect i feel like it's <laughs> it, these last couple of years the last five or six seven years whenever these teams have played whether it's in chicago or in tampa it's one or two different kinds of games. It's either close and competitive, yeah, and maybe frustrating. You know, maybe frustrating for both teams. Everyone remembers that uh, I think it was a Thursday night game, 2020, Chicago and the Bucks. Brady forgot it was fourth down. All of that good right. stuff. That was frustrating. That was the most frustrating yeah. game of the year. I have gone back and I have watched every single game from that 2020 season, e- uh, even the losses, except for that one, and then obviously the 48 to three loss against New Orleans at home. But when it's not that kind of game, the Bucks are usually on that ass. And mm-hmm. uh, whenever they play in Tampa these last couple of years, Oh man. The Bucks are usually on that ass. And I'm not saying yeah. it's gonna get out of hand this Sunday. That's not at all what I'm saying. I do <laughs> think I do think with the growing pains on the offensive side of the ball for the Bucs and the fact that they are gonna rely on the run game, I think it's a lower scoring affair. And I think it's close. I don't think it's going to be as close as a finish as week one was uh, between the Bucks and Minnesota. Like, that really came down to it. I think this one will be short up with about four, five, six minutes left to go. Maybe a late game interception by one team or the other. But if we're doing score predictions, then I have the Bucks winning uh, 24, to, 24 to 20. 24 to 20. Okay. I was going to say 24-17, but that, that's a big spread, and I, I think they'll keep it a close game. So 24-20.
0: Late touchdown. I think Bucks. that sounds about right to me. I was thinking like twenty three twenty Bears, uh, kind of thing. Uh, very much in line with you. Like it's probably going to be some kind of late turnover or, or something like that. That that kind of you know, like I think the final score will be established. Like well, like with the Minnesota game, you guys took the lead with about five minutes to go and managed to hang on to it uh, for the rest of the game. And it's just a matter of, you know, somebody holding on in those last five minutes uh to uh to come away with the win. That's why I feel like twenty-three twenty makes sounds about right uh to me. Uh for me, it's more the context of how the Bears play than actually winning the game for me. Like our have we have we shored things up so that win or lose, we look like a much better football team that might actually, you know. Have some kind of business taking the field against the Chiefs next week, because otherwise, that's going to be an absolute bloodbath in Kansas City. Yeah, you know,
1: yeah, tough, tough opponents uh, in Week Three for both Chicago and Tampa Bay. Yeah, the getting, Super Bowl teams. Yeah, getting both of the Super Bowl teams from last year. The Bucks playing Philly on Monday Night Football, and uh, that will be at home in Raymond James. It is Rondé Barber Enshrinement Night. So they're just going <laughs> to piss off Philly even more by showing highlights of that wonderful pick six championship go. Yeah. game at halftime and showing off that beautiful Hall of Fame bust that Rondé finally got. But uh, you know it's a tough game for both of these teams, and, and I don't think either of them are in a position to be looking ahead to the next week. But they know that, like you said earlier, they're going out there to play with something to prove.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like I said in in, in my preview on my NFL show, they they both do have something to prove. The Bears are out to prove that that Week One, that's not who we are. That was a fluke. We're going to show up and, and be the team that everyone thought we were uh, coming in. And the Bucks are out to prove that Week One wasn't a fluke because Week One is that that fluky, mm-hmm. you know, that that fluky week. You you, know, you see it happen all the time. Week One is uh, when the Lions beat the Chiefs. Yeah, where week one is the Browns dominate the the yeah. Bengals twenty four to three, or the Forty Nine ers go on the road from the West Coast to the East Coast, play what would is essentially for them a ten a.m. game, and dominate the Steelers from the outset thirty to seven. Like it, the Steelers never got off the bus uh, in their home stadium against yeah. the the Forty Nine ers. Now, granted, yeah. the Forty Nine ers are Super Bowl favorites uh, this year, but you didn't expect them to run the Steelers off the field. Uh, the way they did yeah the high expectations uh,
1: for pittsburgh this year too i, yeah. I know the afc north that's going to be a tough division but pittsburgh is has been like a, a team that i've seen pop up more often than not as a lot of people's afc picks so curious to see if they can bounce back but that was pure domination by uh by brock purdy and the niners week one
0: yeah and then the the giants letting the letting the cowboys come into MetLife and put 40 on them and getting shut out in the in the pro, I mean, it was embarrassing. Like I, was, I, I, I tweeted on Monday. Uh, I was like, you know what, guys? There's worse thing in the world to be than bear fans. We could be rooting for the Giants hey, you right could, now. You could be rooting for the Jets.
1: Uh, it, you know, not to not. To oh talk, my God! Not to talk about New York sports, but you talk about the forty to nothing beatdown on prime time, and then twenty four hours later, uh, we get <laughs> just absolute tragedy for the New York Jets and in the Aaron Rodgers situation. It's Maybe, there's plays been worse. In, dude. Maybe there's been worse because I don't fully understand the legacy of how bad New York football, New York sports have been over the course yeah. of history. But that's got to be like the worst 24 hours on record uh, as far as games played for New York fans in, in MetLife Stadium.
0: Yeah, it's just been a bad year. Both the Mets and the Yankees suck uh, this year. The Giants get a 40-burger put up on them on on Sunday Night Football, national TV, then the most highly anticipated start to a Jets season in a really long time. Like, hey, man, we've been building this roster, all this young talent. We got this great head coach and Robert Sala. We got the missing piece. Like, if we had Aaron Rodgers last year, we're in the Super Bowl kind of thing. Here he is, four plays into the season, Ruptured Achilles done for the year. We are back to Zach Wilson being our starting quarterback, which is exactly where we didn't want to be. It's uh it's brutal. So yeah, like I said, there's worse things to have been on uh, you know, than uh than a Bears fan uh after you know what happened, but you know, they've they've got a lot to prove and uh we'll see what happens uh on Sunday. I, I am uh cautiously optimistic. Uh, But, you know, as a, as a lifelong fan of the franchise, I'm also uh, extremely pessimistic as well. It's like the first thing that goes wrong. It's going to be like, all right, here we go. Here we go. This is it. You know, I don't even know why I bothered watching, you know, kind of thing. So. People we'll abandoned ship
1: early. They they were they were used to it for so many years down here that like by the turn of October, people are pulling up the mock draft machine to see what they can <laughs> you know get the get the bucks in position to do next spring. But I think for both of these teams, these are critical seasons just because the expectations coming into it uh, for yeah. the Bears. I know you said last year expectations were pretty low. This year things are different for the Bucks. You know, they took a step down as far as everyone's overall expectations. Like they they don't think this is going to be a decent team. I mean, not even a a halfway decent team. A lot of people think this is going to be the second worst team in the NFL without Tom Brady at quarterback. Yeah. I don't think that's the case, but both of these teams are going to have an interesting season because when you talk to the fans, it's so divided. It's it's so like we're either going to win 3 or 4 games this year or we're going to win 11 and 12 and and go on a playoff run. So a lot to prove with both of these young teams, but it should be an exciting season the rest of the way.
0: Well, I mean, especially since both of our teams are in what would be considered wide open divisions. Yeah. This yeah. year. You know, with with uh with Brady gone, uh, you know, a brand new quarterback in Carolina, uh, you know, Atlanta going going it going the, the distance with Desmond Ritter uh at quarterback, Derek Carr making the move over to uh New Orleans and the division with the win, division winner was 8-9 everybody else was 7 and 10 so it was pretty much a, a neck and neck division <laughs> last year and then now the bears it looks like the vikings are taking a step back the, the lions taking a step up the packers are without aaron rodgers and the bears you know did a lot of improving over the offseason it could go either way like nobody's going to be surprised with how this division finishes up uh no matter what so it's it's one of those wide open years for both of our division, so it is going to be exciting the rest of the way to see how it all shakes out. Agreed. So, Ired, thanks so much uh, for for coming back on. I, I appreciate you uh, joining us and and helping me talk through this uh, very uh, traumatic week one loss. And uh, I know that I've been uh, you know boohooing my way uh, through this, but I, I do think the Bears can win the game. The level of confidence on will they win it? Eh, we'll see. We'll see. I think they can. Will they? I think so. But I won't be surprised after the way they played on Sunday if they come away zero and two on this thing. So,
1: hey, it's only week two, man. We got a lot of football left, and yep. uh, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. I- I'll take I'll take a bad day of NFL
0: football over anything else at this point. Amen to that. Amen to that. And and if we lose, you know, the number one reason for that loss will be. Orange helmets and the orange jerseys because oh, that is a god awful uniform. What do you, uh, you,
1: before we go, just a little bonus question here. What do you make of that? Uh, I, I don't think it's official, but have you seen the mock ups
0: of a white helmet? It depends because I've seen some that put the bear head on the side, which <laughs> I, no, thank no? you. No, yeah. you,
1: you're you opposed to the bear
0: head logo on the helmet, opposed 100%. Okay. Uh, it's the the white helmet configuration that I like. Is you keep the C on the side, orange C navy trim, as opposed to orange C white trim on the navy helmet, navy face mask, no stripes. Because every configuration I keep seeing, they put stripes on the helmet. We've never had a stripe on the helmet ever. No need for the stripe. White helmet, orange C, navy trim, navy face mask, white from head to toe, I'm all about it. The polar bear look, count me in. Yeah. You know, a, a, lot
1: of, a lot of people don't like the unitard uniforms as far as like, you know, red on red, white on white, uh, yeah. primary, primary color. But I love it. The, I will say it the depends. Bucks, the Bucks white on white uniform, while it is sharp, it's probably my least favorite of what we have. I mm-hmm. think our red jersey, white pants is the cleanest combo that we have, but they don't bust it out very often. They usually save that for, for preseason or like one game a year. Uh, but right. we also get the return of the creamsicle against the Lions there later this year, so I'm I'm pumped up for that. But
0: yeah, I was I was hoping that they might bust that out against the Bears, the old yeah. NFC Central rival uh, kind of thing, uh, being Week Two and everything. But I guess we're the ones that go out there and look like gooftards in the orange <laughs> uniforms instead. So looking forward. And and the only thing is that it's uh it's I'm optimistic because then. That's if we're going to do, we did one on the road and one at home last year. So at least we got one of those two appearances out of the way early. Yeah. Just get it done. As opposed to last year, they did it twice in three weeks. Mm. So yeah, that was a rough stretch. So
1: I'm curious to see if the bucks make it around the horn with their uniforms this year, they've got at least the ones that I know of. They did wear red on white in the preseason. So maybe check that off of the list, but they got (laughs) white Jersey, white pants, white Jersey, pewter pants, Sometimes they wear that at home. Mostly they wear that at home early in the year. Then the creamsicle. And then of course the classic red and pewter. And then the all pewter, which I forget about now that we have the creamsicle back. Uh, yeah. a lot of people really like the all pewter, but I, I don't know. I would rank it maybe one above the white on white for me. It's not my favorite alternate we've had.
0: Well, when it comes to, when it comes to the, 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 the so-called color rush and thank God that's something that went away. But, <laughs> um, like, that was kind of like a Color Rush uniform. That one w- would rank high on the Color Rush power ranking right? for me. Right, it, it was just, it was a decent, it was a good look as far as, you know, Color Rush standards are concerned, which the bar is not high yeah. for Color Rush. But, you know, as far as like, you know, the other uniform configurations, yeah, I'd probably put it somewhere on the the bottom half. Uh, f- for you guys the pewter from head to toe. And uh, you brought this up against the right person because I am a self-professed uniform snob. I love it. Uh I love so it. I do you keep, understand. I, I always keep track of this this uh this kind of thing like the lions and that blue helmet that they're breaking out this year. Number one, love the color. Love the color. Yeah, but what do we do with the logo? the logo. What,
1: are we what doing? the hell is the logo? Why, why and I put understand that on the helmet.
0: Yeah, it's it's an anniversary logo. I get it. But it looks like a five-year-old drew that in, in finger painting class or something like that. It's awful. Absolutely yeah. awful. And they're breaking it out with their, their all-gray uniforms. So yeah. you, they're going to look like a lollipop with this, this blue helmet and then this bland gray uniform underneath it. I was like, no, that doesn't work at all.
1: So yeah. there's just certain things that work, certain things that don't. I think gray is a very slippery slope. There's too much that can go wrong with a gray uniform. Uh, (laughs) Okay, last uniform comparison I'll throw out there. I know we're on a good topic here, but uh, the University of Tennessee just dropped. They have these gray, like smoky gray uniforms, but they're a callback to some old uniforms that they had before with an orange shoulder lining, but it doesn't go all the way to the edge of the shoulder pad. It stops right (laughs) at the stitching. And it looks ridiculous. I don't know if you've seen those, but some of the worst college football unis I've seen this
0: year. And Tennessee usually has good ones. Don't get me started on college football. (laughs) You know, like the University of Oregon, they've played 110 games and had 110 different uniform configurations in that time. Whereas the best team in the country, or traditionally anyway, Alabama, same two uniforms that they do not stray from and they're just... One national championship after another, yeah. or even the Georgia Bulldogs. Yeah, they don't get yeah. fancy with the uniforms, and they're their ones hoisting the trophy two years in a row. So, I don't know. Maybe think about that a little bit. Spend a little more time on football, a lot less time on on uh, you know how the how the bird uh, wing is going to go on the helmet, or you know all that kind of nonsense.
1: The, the best kind of uniform is one that you can set up and not change for sixty years. Look at Chicago. Yes. you know the, the the Bucks made the mistake. They made the pewter power transition in 1996. Never should have gone away from it. And they can tell you that because they literally went back to fix what wasn't broken after they just completely ruined uh, the Bucks uniform in 2014. So that was a dark period. But oh, with the digital to, clock
0: numbers that they oh had on the, just like, I absolutely
1: hated that. I, I mean, hey, the, the color rush, the color rush for those uniforms, I did like. I know the alarm clock uniforms were there, but they had like a pewter number and the red on red. I thought that was sharp, but yeah. the rest of those uniforms were hideous, just absolutely embarrassing. A low point for uh, the aesthetic of the
0: franchise. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Not to mention they blew up the the, hel- the flag on the helmet. Yeah, to it was like way, twice too big, the size. Way, way too, too big. Size, way too
1: big. Chrome face mask. Yeah, which I didn't hate, it was, but it wasn't a good look with the rest of the uniform. Yeah, so.
0: Anyway, sounds like we could do a podcast on this, you know, it was like, well, hey, it's the weekly uniform, you know, show.
1: Yeah, let's run it down. Uh,
0: there you go. But, uh, Rhett, thanks so much, man. This was a great time. Um, where can we, uh, where can we find the uh, cannon fire, uh, on, online?
1: Anywhere you download a podcast, Spotify, Apple podcast, Podbean, And then, uh, you can also watch with video on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash cannon fire podcast and then social media facebook instagram
0: and twitter all of those are cannon fire podcast awesome brett matthews thanks so much for uh, helping us out good luck on sunday at least hopefully everyone comes back healthy win or lose. thank you larry good talking to you buddy and yeah, they the cannons, the cannons. Come. fire them keep yeah. on firing them keep on firing them